Should we get started? <laughs> yes, let's do it. All right, so welcome to... Yeah, we have one listener, GGG no Ji-san. Thanks for joining us. This is our first space. Um, Ooh, thank you. Thank you. We'll thank have you this recording um, available after, so feel free to share it with your friends or your family, whoever whoever you know who might be interested to, to listen to us. And then um, we'll also publish it on the website and our adult Apple, Apple and Spotify music accounts. All right, so before we, we begin, um, Naito-san, maybe you can share with um, our listeners or who we are, what Japan Forward is with our, with our vision statement. Okay, thanks, Galileo. Hi, uh, listeners. Well, listener. <laughs> well, uh, my name is Yasu Naito, Editor-in-Chief, Japan Forward. Well, for anybody unfamiliar with us, uh, we started Japan Forward in 2017 with a goal to reach global audiences sharing stories, opinions, and editorial contents from Japan. We noticed that much of the coverage about Japan published by English-language media lacked perspectives and sentiments from people inside of Japan. In many cases, it was biased and culturally nuanced to create a negative perception of Japan and the Japanese. There should be balance. Our mission, shared by supporters and followers, is to raise awareness of the Japanese spirit, culture, and tradition. Enjoy our program. So yeah, this is going to be our fifth year. So it's going to be very big for us. Japan Forward is still quite new and quite young. Yeah. So very excited <laughs> for what we have this year. <laughs> yeah, we need to prepare the 50-year anniversary party or event. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yeah, so next, uh, maybe yeah, we can make, give us introduction of who we are and what we do in Japan Forward. And how about Ariel, could you start and give us an intro of who you, who you are? Okay, uh, my name is Ariel Buzetto. Uh, I'm Italian. Um, I've been working as a reporter for Japan Forward. Uh, I'm on my fourth year now, um, but uh, three years and a bit ago I started um, and uh, covered a range of topics going from society and culture, politics. Uh, I did some sports during the Olympics and yeah, it's great to be here. Right. It's nice to have you, Ariel, and the team. And Ed, how about yourself? Hello, I'm Ed O'Devin. I'm the sports editor for Japan Forward and our sports-focused website, Sports Look. I joined the company in May of 2020. Uh, to help grow the sports content, um, to add uh, weekly material, a uh, weekly column, and a Sunday notebook, trying to highlight a lot of ja different sports happening in Japan and Japanese success stories overseas. Athletes such as uh, Takuma Sato, Naoya Inoue, Rui Hachimura. And um, during the Olympics, we were, of course, very busy and very, uh, very focused on um, cranking out lots of stories each day. And we're looking forward to the upcoming uh, Beijing Olympics as well. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been nice to have you in the team. It feels like it was only a couple of months ago, but since COVID started, I know. Time's, <laughs> time's already flown by. Yeah. And then quickly myself. So I'm Galileo, and I've been working in Japan for um, off, off, and, off and on, full time, part time, mixed time since, <laughs> since its early beginnings. Uh, I think 20, I met with you in 2016, is that correct? Yes, I think so. From the very yes. beginning of our project, yes. Yeah, so 2016, I was working on all sorts of things like articles, going to events, making videos, um, setting up all our marketing campaigns, um, our helping Naito-san with editorial content. Um, but since our team has grown, I've been able to work on um, other things like um, 
website, some of the, the back end and architectural stuff for our website and our and our system, a content management system. But I'm also working on the the marketing side with social media and SEM and S SEO and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I really enjoy working in Japan for and with, with my teammates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we enjoy working with you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. And then maybe lastly, Naito-san, a quick introduction, please. Well, I'm Japanese, obviously, and uh, well, I'm working for the Sankei Shimbun as well as the uh, Japan Forward. Uh, but I was the well, I was a correspondent of the Sankei Shimbun in London, Russia, uh, and when the you know nine eleven happened, uh, I was a uh, Fulbright Scholar in Washington D.C. Uh, so I was mostly covered uh, the international news and, you know, this Japan Forward is, uh, my dream project. And, uh, I'm really happy to working with, uh, very talented, uh, young folks like, uh, you know, Galileo, Ariel and Ed, uh, they're younger than me. I'm the <laughs> oldest one, of this participant, but, uh, I'm really happy. Experienced. I'm <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, <laughs> that means that uh, I'm the oldest. <laughs> Thanks. All right. So yeah, we're just a still growing team, and a lot, a lot of contributors are you know starting to be part of the team every year. We are getting more content from different um, from different people, different perspectives about different issues in Japan, and really related to their home country maybe. So if you're interested to write for Japan for getting in touch with us, uh, and particularly for sports, because you know what's coming up and what's happening um, beginning from today is the Beijing Twenty Two. 2022 games and so for our agenda today that's what we wanted to talk about we want to talk about the Beijing Olympics um, we also wanted to quickly touch upon the difference between uh, when Japan was promoting the Tokyo Olympics and now China in the Beijing Olympics so we'll talk about that um, culturally we had Setsuban in Japan recently so let's um, spend a little bit of time there and lastly because it's still the season or it's coming up let's talk about it. so with that Let's talk about the Beijing Olympics. Who can who can start us off? How about Ed and Ariel? I think you worked on the piece together. Um, yeah, Ed, please uh, take it away with you know on the sports side, what is going on uh, with the Beijing Olympics? Um, what what are the things that we're expecting? Well, we have I guess we have two two main topics here. We have the athletes and the competition, and also the uh, the parallels and comparisons between uh, Tokyo twenty twenty last year. And from the from the political standpoint and just global perspective, the opinion of the Beijing Games. So, which do we want to discuss first? How about the game uh, itself with the athletes and the events? Okay. Um, one thing that one thing to keep an eye on uh, for the Beijing Games is Japan is coming off its most successful total medal haul in the Winter Olympics from the 2018 Pyeongchang Games. 14 medals in total was the is the national record four gold, five silver, and four bronze medals. So the momentum from a lot of the athletes that are back, most of the medalists are back. You know, the positive um, the positive energy that they took from Korea back to Japan and in their training for the last uh, four years, that is significant. You, you can't start the discussion without looking at the historical brilliance of uh, Yuzuru Hanyu, the figure skater on the men's side. He is... He is gunning for his third straight gold medal, which hasn't happened in men's figure skating in almost 100 years back in the 1920s. So 
he is an iconic figure and really at the top of the list of any must watch athletes. Have you, have you had a chance to really um, take a look at uh, Hanyu's career, Ariel? Yeah, I mean, his uh, his achievement, obviously, is stellar, and he's incredibly popular in Japan, but also around the world, right? He's so uh, famous because um, he oh, there's so many fans that follow him wherever he goes, and they always throw like the, 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 the plush toys at him, right? So that's, I think it's a testament to how he has an incredible elegance in, you know, the way that he performs, and I think even a complete, um, uh, you know, a novice like me can look at him and appreciate that he has a, a different way of performing compared to other athletes. I, I mean, his his incredible athleticism is 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 clearly visible when you watch his spins and jumps and just like ballet on ice. But he's also a great showman where you see him in the moment, really like captivated by the music as if it's the first time that he's hearing this song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he'll definitely be... Uh, he it's some uh, feature and just an athlete to look forward to. Uh, the nation of Japan will probably stop to watch him compete or to watch mm-hmm. him perform every time. Mm-hmm. That's what happened last time when he was competing in the in the Pyeongchang Games. Mm-hmm. Even where I was working at the time, um, it's like, oh, Hanyu is coming on. Let's turn on the TV and watch it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. everyone always feels so inspired after watching his performance. Mm-hmm. And in general, Japan does really well in ice skating, right? There's a uh, uh, quite a significant following and quite a few athletes uh, of importance. Isn't, isn't that true, Ed, from Japan at least? Anyway. You know, that that is correct. And if you look at just this particular Olympics alone, Japan has three medal hopefuls on the men's side. Hanyu is a two-time defending champion, but also you have Shoma Uno, who won the silver in Pyeongchang, and an up-and-comer, Yuma Kagiyama, who is only 18 years old, if I remember correctly here. And yeah. he's been on the on the senior level now, he's really doing well. He's contending for titles and he's he's really making, you know, Hanyu and Uno um giving them a great challenge in on the national scene. Well, I love the, you know, the mental side. Uh when you know the big game like Olympic Games, you know, uh you have enormous uh, pressure from uh you know the the country uh, of your own country, but even though the Hanyu seems like a kind of he's like a philosopher, you know, and uh, he's uh, <laughs> he's making the way, the new way. So that's why uh, everybody's excited to watch him. So let's see uh, what's going to happen this time in Beijing. <laughs> I really love to watch. <laughs> yes, one one thing to keep an eye on with the skating that actually started today, a couple hours, half a day before the opening ceremony is is the team event where in figure skating, you have the individual events that are part of your individual competitions. So like if you're the men's skater, you're going to compete in the, uh, the short program and the free skate. Mm. But in the team event, you also have those events uh, added together, the men's, the men's two disciplines, and then the women's short program and free skate. Then you have the ice dance and the pairs. And you take mm. all those points added together for a team title. And Japan is also very hungry to win the team title uh, for mm-hmm. the first time. Mm. And the addition of other talented skaters in pairs and dance really helped uh, Japan be one of the top contenders. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How about, Ed, we, we talked, I think, a couple of weeks ago about um, jumping. And we ski were jumping, talking, yeah. yeah. Ski jumping. And we we're, were saying that one of um, is the most successful competitors in that sport, um, Takanashi Takanash Lisa. 
Sarah Takanashi. Sarah, yes, Sarah Takanashi. She <laughs> has, um, she's in a good position to also create a new world record. Is that right? Well, currently, currently Sarah Takanashi owns the record for most World Cup circuit uh, titles in in on the men's and women's side. Uh, you know, historically, she has sixty one individual wins. So basically, a World Cup circuit event is a one-day ski jump competition, and normally they have back-to-back events in one in one city or one you know mountain resort over a two-day period. So the last several years, she's been racking up win after win after win, and finishing on the podium, you know, the top three. In her second Olympics in in Pyeongchang, she got the bronze medal, but you know she's twenty-five years old now, and she's really been winning prolifically over the last four years and many people think she'll get the gold in in beijing and mm-hmm. if she wins the gold am i correct i think it's going to be japan's first gold in ski jumping right first gold in women's ski jumping there have been yes. two men's two men's ski jumping gold medals mm-hmm. in fact um at the 1972 sapporo games and then again in 1988 in sorry 1998 in nagano oh wow okay that's good. I'll be yeah. I'll, I'll be excited to watch the development of that. I've been following yeah her story since the Pyeongchang Games, and I think she's got a remarkable career. And hopefully, okay. yes, yeah, she she wins the gold for the country. Let me let me add just a little bit more on on the ski jumping. Um, Ryoyu Kobayashi is a definite contender on the men's side. He's won seven events this year on the World Cup tour, and he's he's a he's one of the favorites in the normal hill and the large hill event. Uh, I mentioned just briefly a moment ago about 1998 Nagano Games. And let me correct myself. Japan won the Large Hill team event in Nagano. And Kazuyoshi Funaki was the winner of the Large Hill individual event. So just 24 years ago, Japan had two golds in ski jumping. Wow. Okay. How about... um... Can we touch a little bit about speed skating? Sure, we should we should do that because Japan women uh, did very well at at the Pyeongchang Games. I'll just quickly I'll mention a number of, of I won't mention everybody, but Japan won three gold medals in women's speed skating in in Pyeongchang. The women's team pursuit and the women's mass start event, where all the athletes are there together. Nana Takagi won that, yeah, and now Kodaira won the women's five thousand. And her her sister Miho Takagi won a silver and a bronze as well in individual events. So those are the real um, catalysts of the women's national team on speed skating. Yeah, and I think um, was it was it the mass that was um, a new event last time? I believe so. Um, yeah, and then there's going to be a new event this time with I think is it mixed? Yeah, um, yeah, mixed, mixed speed skating, and I don't know logistically <laughs> how that how that really flows, but. <laughs> Listen, it's actually the short track, which is the mixed team relay. So mm. it's a little, it's not the full oval. It's a more, you know, intense, uh, like straight. Mm. Well, okay. I'll be, yeah, also try to be looking out for that. Yeah, but where's Mr. Where's man? You see, yesterday the, uh, the, the ice hockey women team uh, won against Sweden. I was so shocked. I was surprised. I was happy for it. <laughs> where's the man, Ed? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, there you have international competitions to qualify for the Olympics. And 
the the men's team did not qualify. Uh, let me give you quickly a rundown on is it ten or twelve teams that are in the women's competition? We'll get this correct for our listeners here in a second. Uh, they up they increase the number of teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me let me get the exact number here. For the first time, the women's tournament is ten teams. It used to be eight um, in the previous Olympics. So let's say there's fifty countries in the world that have a you know uh, ice hockey team and competing in tournaments. You got to finish in the top ten. In this case, for the you know the women to make it. And the Japan men's team is not quite at that level right now. Women's team is ranked in the ranked in the top ten, so you know that's an accomplishment. Mm. <laughs> that's a relief. Okay, thank you. Yeah, we do have one uh, male athlete who is supposed to be you know somebody to look out for in snowboard, right? Um, who also participated. He was a bit of a interesting one because he's also a sporter, so he also participated in the Summer Olympics. Um, yeah. Hirano, right? Um, Ayumu Ayumu Hirano. Yeah, Yeah, so he's somebody to look out for if we want a you know male representative (laughs) night (laughs) to That's a really that's a great news. Yes. He he's he's he has back to back silver medals in the men's Mm -hmm. half pipe. Mm -hmm. He won his first medal in Sochi in twenty fourteen, then did it again in in, uh in Pyeongchang. So some people think that experience of those back to back uh Olympics might push him to the top this year. Uh, but you know it's a very competitive field, and you got to get your points. You got to get the points. You got to get your moves down. You slip up, you might not make it. <laughs> but you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of comparison between skateboarding and surf, uh, skateboarding and snowboarding. Excuse me, the mechanics involved and the the movements. And it's interesting to see when athletes do both both um, both disciplines. Mm-hmm. Were, were there any other athletes this in this? These games that are um, that competed in the summer games. That you're I don't. Of? I'm not aware of any on the on the Japan national team. In others, in other countries, uh, there there are a few. Um, It'd be interesting to see if there are any again this year for Japan. I remember there were a couple in the Pyeongchang games. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, maybe we can something I can do as like personal reading for myself. And then there's also one other male. Um, is it Moguls? He he he's also a medal hopeful. I think he got the gold last last time. Sure. <laughs> in, in in the in the moguls, um, from what I've been reading and just watching the events um, highlights, uh, I don't see the the bronze medalist from from Korea, Daichi Hara, mentioned as a medal candidate this time. But oh. there are there are a couple other mogul skiers in freestyles. Who are considered uh, metal hopefuls? On the women's side, somebody I wrote about a couple of weeks ago in in the odds and evens column is a 17 year old named Henri Kawamura, who is among the top three in the world in points on the World's Cup freestyle skiing uh, circuit for her event, moguls, which they they go over these little bumps and hills. They skate really quickly, like back and forth, like just a very tight area, and then they do uh, these these remarkable spins. These these 360 and and other even bigger you know um, revolutions in the air. And Henri Kalamura is a real medal hopeful, and uh, she's been pl- doing very very well. And then on the men's side, uh, Horishima Ikuro Horishima, who is 25 years old, has been in the top three the entire season as well. So they both got a really good shot. Hmm. All right. 
I guess one other thing quickly, we're, we're going along here. The women's curling team uh, yes. from, from Japan is the yeah. broke through with a bronze medal in, 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 uh, in Korea. And that team is still intact, the same members. And, uh, you know, there's a real sh- thought that they might also medal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, they're also just very popular, right? Like the whole team um, in the aftermath of Pyeongchang, like they're sort of co- how, cohesive, how cohesive they were and just how energetic they were. I think it really captured people's imagination. Their signature phrases became buzzwords in Japan that everybody was, you know, repeating them or it came up on TV. So it's like really interesting to see how it became such a popular, like they became popular, the sport became popular. So I'm sure everybody will be watching for how they do in these games. Oh, yes. yes I agree. I'm now watching, I mean, I'm now reading the editorial on Japan Ford on Olympic Games. And, you know, the main picture was uh, from the Pyeongchang, uh, the medalist. The faces, well, I think uh, the 60, 70 percent are women. I think the women power gives another push to, you know, uh, to gain more medals. Maybe I mm-hmm. hope that, yeah. Yes. That's a- and also in the Tokyo Olympics, the majority of medals were actually by women. Just just about, just a l- like 30 out of the 58 medals. So, you know. We'll have to see what happens this time. Okay, we certainly do. So first medals, first medals will be you know on Saturday. So medal events are happening quite quickly, just a day after the opening ceremony. Oh, which event is it? Ed? Uh, I don't have that. <laughs> I don't have that in front of me. But <laughs> I have for it. All right. Okay. Uh, one. Okay. Actually, there are there are three events that. Uh, that probably for Japan to keep an eye on the the women's individual normal hill final in ski jumping. So we were talking about Sarah Takanashi before, and let's see who qualifies in the women's three thousand meters speed skating final, and then the men's freestyle moguls final. So I think Horishima will probably qualify for that. Let's wait and see. All right. Okay. Well. Yes, it's going to be exciting. The, the Beijing Olympics opening ceremony is on today. Uh, and it's going to be the official start of the game. So good luck to all the athletes, all the coaches that worked hard. Um, not, even, not just the Japanese ones, but everyone who's representing their countries. Um, yeah, have, have a good time and yeah, do the best for your country. Um, next, so Ed, Ariel, I think, yeah, mm-hmm. you want to talk about how you know, Tokyo Olympics happened last year in contrast to the Beijing Olympics happening now. Mm-hmm. It seems like the media or the world is split on their opinions of who should be hosting, who should be cancelling. <laughs> and um, Like last year, like the coronavirus is gone. This year there's the Omicron variant. Um, mm-hmm. But it feels like the discussion is different or the sentiment is different. Can you maybe share with our listeners your thoughts on this? Yeah, so um, we actually published an article on this uh, just before. So if you're interested in this, um, please check our page. But uh, basically, the point is that, uh, you know, these Olympics are happening in very unique circumstances, i.e. we're in them still in the middle of a pandemic. Um, But of course, this is the first time that some of the Olympic Games, uh, the Olympic and Paralympic Games have been held during the pandemic. The example that we saw from really, you know, close ranges obviously the Tokyo Olympics that happened that kicked off in July 2021 and also just the mood and the coverage that there was in the um, 
in the months prior to the games um, was very different compared to what we're seeing now uh, in the sense that in the months prior to the games, uh, every, the coverage was overwhelmingly, I would I think it's not an exaggeration to say it was almost apocalyptic, like saying, you know, this is what's going to happen. You know, we've never done this before. Uh, is it going to be a super spreader? Um, professionals in the medical system were saying this is going to be uh, epidemiological disaster. Uh, what, what's going to what's happen, basically? And a lot of people were calling for the Olympics to be cancelled. Some other people were saying, no, we have to do it for the athletes. The athletes themselves were under a lot of pressure because they were training in abnormal circumstances without competing. And so on. it was a very high pressure environment. I think all the organizers were under an incredible amount of pressure to make sure that, you know, as few uh, infections as possible came out uh, of the games and that sort of thing. And then, you know, in the end, everybody was saw the games with bated breath and the infections <laughs> did not materialize as, as much as people thought. And I think, you know, I would like Ed to weigh in on this, but I think we can agree that it was a huge success. Uh, and there were so many countries that came out with amazing successes and as from their athletes. And uh, at the end, uh, a lot of the comments and the coverage were overwhelmingly positive. And so when we're looking at the, the mood and the coverage and the articles before uh, these uh, Beijing games, there is no let's cancel the games. Um, some people are obviously worried about the spread of infections, about the Omicron variant. But, uh, you know, if you compare the number of infections that have already been found in the Beijing, uh, in the Beijing closed loop bubble, of which we will talk about, you know, with Ed, I'm sure, uh, it's already a lot more than it was at the time of the Tokyo Games. So it really is interesting to see this contrast between uh, the two games uh, is we've gotten so used to it that we forgot how worried we were at the time of Tokyo, the Tokyo Olympic Games. I think. What do you think about this, Ed? Um, well, please take a t take a break for a second. There, <laughs> you you mentioned a lot of stuff to me, Ariel. Um, uh, very very thoughtful uh, commentary, very uh, in depth uh, introduction. Uh, I hope I can um, match your level. Um, I'm joking <laughs> a little bit, but also I'm serious that you you really outline what the story highlighted a lot. Um, and what we tried to do with the article today is, is share global perspectives of pe what people were saying during the during and before the, the Tokyo 2020 games. And then what is the mood now? You have you had the mood before the games. Yeah, that like the world was going to fall off the edge of if, if there was a super spreader at the Tokyo Olympics. And uh, the, the the organizers were very good in in creating and following and maintaining the protocols and testing people every day. So mm -hmm. the. I think I think the JOC and the Tokyo 2020 committee deserve credit for working with the international community, especially the IOC and, you know, like WHO guidelines to really ensure that the games were safe and and, you know, main, maintained day to day on a, in a smart way. <laughs> the the number the overall medals that Japan won, the you mentioned before just a few minutes ago about the, the 30 medals that the women won. That, that was significant, and so was the 58 overall medals, which was a national record for any Olympics. So Japan created a very positive mood of the athletes during the Games, even though people were watching from home or were, were secluded away from the arenas. There was still a very big, upbeat, day-to-day -day celebration of medalists. And in fact, Japan actually accumulated medals every day of the 16 official days of the Summer Olympics. So there was always every day there was somebody on the uh, medal ceremony taking place. Yeah. And, and a lot of countries, you know, really 
far exceeded their medal count and events that they won medals in. Think back, Ariel, to the track and field results that that Italy Italy uh, performed. What do you remember about that from the athletic <laughs> uh, from the national stadium? I mean, it's hard not to remember that. But uh, you know, Italy won the hundred meters uh, men's, uh, and so you know. It's like thinking the next Hussein Bolt is Italian. Like obviously that was something a news that absolutely made all Italians and Italian journalists go absolutely ballistic. And you know the headlines were the fastest man in the world is Italian. Yeah. You know, um, and so and and after that, Italy got several medals. Uh, there was the marathon. You know, there was uh, obviously just minutes away from the hundred meters. There was uh, the, the the athlete that won the high jump. Um, so, and that, you know, such a concentration of medals in athletics that never happened before for Italy. So obviously me as an Italian, I, I was also really struck by that. So, uh, you know, as far as the Italian press was concerned, when the Olympics finished, it was like, we, there was never such a good set of Olympic games like Tokyo because we've never seen results like this. So, and, and one thing that happens at every Olympiad is there's a country or an athlete who is the first to win a medal for a country in any event or in a specific event. And then just the way the country rallies around that person, they become iconic and they receive mm-hmm. they become a celebrity for life or they get, you know, they get cars and, you know, uh, just endorsements immediately. And one person that really resonated with me was watching the women's uh, weightlifting and uh, Hidalian Diaz winning a gold for the Philippines, where she became this this instant hero in the Philippines. Mm. And just just seeing how the media responded to that story and how people like at the airport, you know, just celebrating her. Very cool. Yeah. Um, So, you know, we had the whole premise of the games and mostly it was to do with COVID, right? And those concerns we still have now with the Beijing uh, Winter Olympics. But of course, added to that, we have, you know, the context of China being the host country of these winter games. And, you know, the, the China, obviously, there's several concerns with China hosting the games. I mean, maybe Naito-san could talk a bit about this, actually. I think, um, what, what, do you, what, what would you like to say about this, Naito-san? <laughs> Well, uh, I think there's two points uh, regarding of you know Tokyo and Beijing contrast or the two Olympics games. But because you know if the Chinese Chinese will do total control Olympics under the COVID nineteen right, and then this you know uh, scheme will be adored by everybody. And you know if the Olympic games becoming more like that, I mean you know total control type of uh, event, I think uh, that's a kind of bad uh, thing to think about in the future because uh, under the democracy as uh, Ariel mentioned that there was so noisy Olympic at the Tokyo 2020 uh, there, there's pros and cons and you know the, the huge debate uh, but out of Beijing there's no debate at all and you know if this you know system continues to grow I think you know Olympic Games is so worried uh, thing it might become a kind of a tool to control people or you know it's 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 totally uh, totally contradicts uh, from its beginning the idea uh, when the olympic game started uh, this is for the peace and you know for the engagement of the sports and the encouragement of the young people but you see it becomes as a political tool to control the people so this is a one aspect that we need to follow whether the Beijing Olympics becomes the another step to the worrisome 
event in the future. <laughs> and the second point is that uh, I remember that 2008, I guess, it was the Beijing Summer Olympic Games when the yeah. opening uh, ev- uh, opening ceremony was held. On the same day, you see the the Russia attacked Georgia. I mean, you know, the the war happened in the at the breakaway region of the Georgia, that uh, you know, pro pro Russian uh, breakaway region of the Georgia, and mm-hmm. the Georgia had started to you, you know the the conflict, and then the Russia intervened, and uh, it became a really uh, horrible war, and uh, mm-hmm. Russia took away the Georgia separatist uh, you know the region, uh, and you know, uh, my worry is that in the same in the current situation in Ukraine, the same type of things might happen. So uh, that's why I was now watching uh, what's going to happen in the Ukraine. I mean, Eastern Ukraine, where the the Russian president Putin will make the concession or not. So in this point, uh, the, I think the Beijing Olympic Games are really, really tough, uh, newsworthy uh, event. Mm-hmm. That that's my view. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And. Uh... You mentioned the sort of fears of geopolitically, but you know, even if you look at China's track record, we even had an editorial, right, by Grant Newsham on our website that was talking about how uh, there's fear that uh, China might just use the opportunity to finally invade Taiwan, as it's been. Uh, as if we look at, there's already been many signs and so on. So is this going to happen at the end of the games? We don't know that, but uh, it, it sort of showcases how there's several issues on the geopolitical stage that are also in the background of China hosting the games. That's right. That's right. And after myself, the Taiwan issue, what's going to happen to uh, the Taiwan after the Olympic games? So, uh, yeah. One and one thing that one thing that the IOC and the Chinese Olympic Committee sort of uh, agreed upon together was shortening the Olympic torch relay uh, for COVID-19 concerns. But also, I think I think there's been official talk on it because of the buildup to the, the 2008 Beijing Olympics. There were a lot of protests along the route. Um, mm-hmm. People, you know, people um, holding up signs uh, in protest to uh, treatment of uh, Tibetans and then uh, you know issues with Taiwan, and even now, probably, if the if it was a real cir- real real long journey, probably with the mm-hmm. the issue with the Uyghurs. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in fact, um, obviously, the U.S., uh, Canada, several countries uh, are doing a diplomatic boycott of the Olympics. So they have officially said that they will not be sending uh, any government officials uh, to the opening ceremony, for example. Uh, Japan is also doing a diplomatic boycott in the sense that they're not sending any members of the government. Um, however, they are uh, sending, for example, Seiko Hashimoto, who is uh, in charge of the Tokyo Olympics uh, and Paralympics. And so they're sort of, I suppose, taking a a little bit of a softer approach, maybe. Um, but uh, for example, on February 1st, uh, Japan uh, sort of approved a resolution uh, in the, one of the houses of the National Diet to uh, sort of c- taking heed of the international context of uh, of the the, the the issues of Japan of China, even though China was not expressly used as a term, but uh, and you know the, the issues of Tibet and the Tibet and the Uyghur Autonomous Region. So you know I think it's. It's in everybody's mind that uh, we should be talking about these issues. While it's obviously supposed to be about the athletes and the games, but uh, it's not apolitical for sure. Yep. 
any any last comments on this topic between both cities host Olympics hosting? I wonder. I wonder in the future if there will be a greater desire to host the Olympics. Mm-hmm. You look at you look at who 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 actually were the final cities bidding. It was only Beijing and uh, Almaty in Kazakhstan, both authoritarian states. I wonder if if more uh, IOC members will make a push for you know countries that are democracies to be hosting the games. That's interesting to know. I didn't know that. Ed. Mm. Yeah, because the Winter Olympics are also less popular than the Summer Olympics, right? So. The, yeah. the enthusiasm of cities bidding to host them is also not comparable. Um, so it'd be interesting to see. Many countries or cities are able to host it. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, even Beijing, for example, um, oh, you know, we yeah. talk about the Winter Olympics being held in Beijing, but uh, Beijing itself, there's not a lot of snow. Yeah. Uh, so actually, most of the ski competitions are happening 200 kilometers away. Um, and, you know, the cost and the infrastructure that has to go in that and all of the artificial snow, it's, it's a massive uh, investment and commitment for a hosting country. Yeah. Well, hopefully, yeah, people can learn about, um, and this may be my personal opinion, it's just the way I've observed things from living in Japan, but there's definitely a great like bias against Japan of like... Um, mm or Japan gets some sort of different treatment. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes labeled as lucky or just fortunate. Even the way that the pandemic ha- has um, developed in Japan with low death rates, there's always excuses of why Japan is this and that. And uh, I feel like t- this, this is what happened with the China, uh, with China mm-hmm. hosting the games. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe one last example that we can make, and if you want, we can move on. But uh, we, we talked about the freedom of the press. Uh, when uh, just yeah. in the before the Tokyo Olympics, uh, when uh, the organizers announced that you know the media, just like everybody else involved in the organization of the games, uh, would have to go through a two-week uh, quarantine in the hotel. They could go to the media center, but they couldn't really go outside until the two weeks were over. And then they could go outside and do their reporting. Um, during those two weeks, they had to test re- every day. You know, there were certain rules and so on. And several media organizations sent an official letter to the IOC saying this is limiting our freedom to report. But of course, there has been no such letter um, prior to the Beijing Games because the premise is, oh, you know, this is just how the Chinese do things. So, of course, we're you know, we're not going to say anything. Otherwise, we will might not be let into the country to cover it. I don't know exactly what the what the premise is, but you know, th- there has no been no such equivalent. So I understand the, the idea of the double standards. That definitely seems to be one. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Um, so yeah, Ariel and Ed have Taylor piece, and I believe there's a video with that article yes. as well. So yeah, you can see Ed. <laughs> yeah, Ed, I saw you in the video too. So. Yeah, please check out the article, watch the video. And if you have any comments, um, let us know on Twitter or Facebook or on our website. That's a great uh, video. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. Sorry, you were saying something? No, 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 no. I, I want to say that the video was really great. And, and you know, uh, I just recommend everybody to watch. Yes. Yeah, it was fun way. to participate. <laughs> <laughs> um. So we have another listener join us today, and also who is one of our contributors with Hayakawa Sensei, Dr. Hayakawa. Thanks for joining us. Um, 
And I hope you enjoy what we talk about today. So next topic we have is setsubun, which was yesterday. Ehomaki. Um, any any volunteers on to share what their Ehomaki and setsubun experience was this was like this year? I mean, I feel like you should talk about it because you have two kids and <laughs> one does a lot more setsubun. Well, first of all, what is it, right? So setsubun, um, I guess in terms of calendar events, we can say um, traditionally it signifies like the beginning of spring, the end of end of winter. Um, but it's just the calendar. It still feels like winter and so cold. Um, there's, there's a lot of like traditional um, and folklore um, behind that, and I won't go into the details. But there's different engi, um, uh, like for example, eating the the same amount of beans as your birth, uh, as your age for that year. Also, eating ehomaki in like the direction it's um decided for. Uh, this year, yeah. I think this year it was hoku hokusei, like north, north, west, mm-hmm. and you eat quietly <laughs> and stand in that direction. Um, <laughs> and one of the other events is uh, the onisoto, <laughs> where you throw like um, beans, mame, um, to shut out like the bad spirits or like the bad fortune away from your house. Mm-hmm. And um, so, particularly with my family, I I dress up as the oni like as a demon and um my son who's t- two years now two years old he um yeah he throws like yeah. the beans at me so yeah. I, like all the bad fortune goes away and yesterday was yesterday was fun last night we did it um i p- put on the oni mask and i went outside and then my my wife and my son were like let's find um let's find daddy he went somewhere so they went outside to find me, like, and as, as soon as they stepped out of the door, I, I, like, you know, I came out of nowhere, and I was wearing the mask, and then my son was like freak, freak, that is ah, there's like the only guy there, and he was almost gonna cry, I wanted to escape, but he was like, my wife was with him, and they're like, if you, she's like, if you throw throw the beans, the the only will go away, um, so he's still shaking and scared at first, but he tried his best to throw the beans at me, and he was just like putting it on the ground. <laughs> instead of throwing it um, and it was so cute but um, yeah I had to pretend I was getting hurt and I ran away and after that I came back home and then he was like oh what happened and he's you know only and he was still kind of shaken up but I was telling him like you know thanks for protecting my family our family sorry I couldn't be there and it was like so good for him to show he's like to show some bravery and to kind of like feel some sort of like you know there's danger and i need to be like brave and to show some courage <laughs> so um it's kind of i don't know i feel like it's kind of traumatic too because it's what happens but you know he was over to like he, he overcame it so i think it was, it was good well done <laughs> brave father how, how, the brave thing how many centuries has setsubun been established and where where in Japan did it sort of pop, get popularized from? Um, you know, like, yeah, if you go into it, you could go early in the Muromachi period. Um, and it's it's more, more, more so about, yeah, like purification, like evil spirits, bad hell, uh, misfortune, all that, all that um, kind of, um, you know, all that terminology, language. And <laughs> Mame, um, which is, what is it? In Japanese, you can, you know, you say it's beans, like mame, but it can also mm-hmm. mean the word for demon eyes, like mame. 
Mm. Uh, something to do with like throwing like mametsu, like getting rid of like, um, yeah, getting rid of the demons in your life. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's been fun. Like where I used to live in Fukushima, a um, mm-hmm. couple years, several years ago, they had like uh, these types of events where you like the children would like wrestle or like fight with an oni, pretend fight with oni. But I think those are like yeah, those are quite good and significant that. Um, you know, instilling it, instilling it into like, the mind of that you have to fight off like evil spirits or like these things, and you can't just let it get you. <laughs> so I think that's, mm-hmm. that's that's a that's a good story, good lesson in life. Mm. Another one that is quite popular is Mame Maki, right? Um, yeah. So you know, the it, as opposed to doing it at home, there will be these ceremonies often at temples, but just even sometimes in public locations where there are people that just basically throw beans in the crowd and you have to try to catch them it's it's a it's a rough affair like people are really they really want to get their fortunate uh, beans um and uh, yeah i went to a couple of years ago this is before covid uh, they stopped a little bit during the pandemic but uh, they did it again this year i think in uh, for example one famous one is at narita um where you know famous celebrities appear and they throw the beans in the crowd yeah, I remember really for a long time that they would um, highlight all the celebrities who popped up at these like mame maki events. And, yeah. Like, if you're a celebrity and you made it at this maki, mame maki event, you're already like high level or you're top class. <laughs> yeah. Often sumo wrestlers for some reason. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Now that you mentioned it, I've noticed a lot of sumo wrestlers get hired for mame, mame maki. It might be it might be because in February the month is not in between basho as well, mm-hmm. so maybe they have more time to be involved in that kind of activity. Uh, yeah, I guess maybe it's a good way to promote their basho and also to kind of acknowledge that the previous one ended. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, okay. Any any anyone else want to share a story? I feel like this segment was entirely dedicated for me. It shouldn't have been. Nathan, did you used to do uh, sisabun with your kids? Oh, yes. When I was a child, yes, yes, yes. That's a kind of very fun time. Well, at the same time, uh, yeah, it's it's a kind of the time that you get grow, uh, get, you know, older. I mean, you know, the Oni, Oni is always around you. So some, mm-hmm. some kind of message was given when you are a child, I think. So fight back to the Oni. Actually, the people likes Oni, right? And uh, yeah. Mitsu or some Ariel's uh, uh, favorite yeah people like uh, i mean you know people think that uh, oni is inside of our culture inside of our uh, society uh anyway we're gonna fight back <laughs> with mame <laughs> and uh uh well moving forward is very important thing this is uh i was wondering that uh, its culture came from i think china if uh i'm afraid i'm uh, not wrong but uh but uh do the Chinese people do the same type of uh, festival in the same period? I don't know, but mm-hmm. if they do. Um, uh, we can have some kind of communication with uh, uh, this type of tradition. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see yeah, if this like the similar like country like neighboring countries around Japan have a similar yeah type of event like even like Taiwan maybe or South Korea or the Philippines mm-hmm. if they have something like this too. Mm. okay um so yeah setsuban is the beginning supposed to be the beginning of spring and for spring in japan uh 
one of the most popular seasons because of Sakura. And I know Ariel, you wrote about uh, Sakura forecast earlier, mm-hmm. um, earlier in the year, I think midway through January, uh, and it's something that a lot of people look forward to. They want to get to their favorite handami spots, or just to even take a photo of the, the Sakura this year. Um, even like most readers um, change their decor, they upgrade their menus to have some sort of sakura flavored um, <laughs> menu item. Uh, like under yep. Starbucks is known well known for making a lot of money just for their sakura latte or whatever they have this year. Oh <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, looking yeah, this is something. Um, I think we're in our third year, fourth, third, fourth, third year now of the pandemic, and Hanami's mm-hmm. like you know Hanami's events have been kind of been on a down low. But it seems like people are, and people are quite aware of, um, with the Omicron. Uh, what do you guys think about this year's um, Hanami events or Sakura season? Any thoughts, concerns, things that you're looking forward to? Mm. Well, it's funny because in Japan, they, people start thinking about Sakura season really early on. Every year I'm always shocked about how early everybody starts thinking about it. But uh, the first forecast of when cherry blossoms are going to bloom in Japan come out in the beginning of January. And then the earliest ones are normally in the middle of March. Um, and so already at the beginning of the year, everybody's thinking, okay, when when are these sakura going to bloom? And uh, and then you have different varieties of sakura. Um, and so I think, and so that the, the, the sort of the most common one, and I think maybe the one that most people know, even from their common knowledge from anime or, you know, pictures of Japan and Tokyo or even the, the plants themselves that get exported abroad. So for example, Washington DC has a huge cherry blossom uh, garden, right? Um, so uh, that is the sort of the Somi Yoshino, which is the slight, the white pink one, um, which is the most famous one, but there's different varieties of sakura. And so, and some bloom earlier. And so looking at those ones, so Naito san mentioned before, Kawazu Sakura, um, that one blooms earlier. So looking at whether those festivals get canceled or not uh, is often a good indicator to seeing whether later in the, like just a month later, uh, there will be celebrations or hanami parties. So last year, for example, the Kawazu Sakura Festival got canceled. Um, and so as as we could have expected, I suppose also the Sakura celebrations were significantly dampened compared to a regular year. Um, and the year before was, of course, the same because that was right in the in the in the first wave of the pandemic when nobody knew how anything worked with this virus. So um, there, it was. I mean, I still remember the announcements of people saying the Sakura are going to bloom next year as well. So this year we're just not going to celebrate. Um, and so I don't know. Uh, I think it will, we'll have to see how this pandemic evolves during this month and then uh, it will depend on whether it's acceptable to celebrate also in Tokyo uh, because they get really crowded as well so I understand that health officials would be concerned about that yeah I don't know what do you think Naito-san well it's it's really well annoying situation of course uh, under the COVID-19 and you know uh, we cannot uh, uh, send out a lot of uh, well information about the events or, you know, the cultural events or the Hanami spots uh, because of this uh, COVID. But uh, I think, you know, we can, you know, uh, even though this COVID situation is, we can send out some, you know, the new thing that under this, uh, let's say the COVID situations, uh, what the Japanese people is 
develop or you're know, thinking uh, the new way of celebration or the new products or the see uh those type of coverage might be interesting well see no matter uh pandemic the sakura you know cherry blossom will happen anyway so uh, mm. we try to cover somehow <laughs> let's think about that <laughs> if uh you guys have uh, any you know uh ideas please let me know and uh, let's try to uh, uh mm-hmm. you know, to realize that uh, uh you know yeah. idea okay what i yeah and uh, i mean what i will say is that the first year so in 2020 right when the pandemic started there was almost nobody celebrating hanami like the the roads most popular roads near the cherry blossoms were empty and so on. last year there was no active encouragement for celebrating so People could still go during the day, but at night the lanterns would be turned off and restaurants would shut early. So you weren't not allowed to go, but it was sort of, please avoid going in crowds. Um, So it is, well, what we can hope for that maybe there will be a slight relaxation of that. So not full on, let's go completely crazy, but uh, perhaps we can, if the the pandemic comes down a bit, we can perhaps enjoy in a bit more um, sort of, in, in ease of like with ease of mind the 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 sakura we'll see yeah we'll see yeah, we'll see i think especially tokyo with like the confirmed cases like getting higher week on week um hopefully slowing down now as, as things start to warm up you know mm-hmm. i guess it's just yeah, we'll just see uh, all right any how about ed anything for you for, for sakura i think uh, a lot of people if Will most people are looking forward to being out and about, going for walks during the peak weeks of the of, of Sakura season, taking photos, uh, you know, maybe having lunch, in, you know, under a tree with a with a couple uh, as a couple or a few friends. But I think groups of you know more than five, more than ten, are really going to be frowned upon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know of people. I'm not, I wouldn't say they're my friends, but I know. Or, con- or colleagues, but I know of people who um, wanted to do Hanami, uh, I think last year or the year before, I think the year before when the Tokyo Olympics was cancelled. Um, mm. They did it in midnight when no one was around. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like a tradition they've had for whatever, three, four years. But mm. yeah, they, they were really hopeful and they wanted to do it. So they did it at midnight when no one was around. And yeah, they, that's how they did their Hanami, <laughs> which, which I thought was interesting. Um, okay, I think yeah, we, we covered a lot today, and we had a few listeners join in, coming in and out, um, and yeah, we're, ho- we're hoping to grow our audience in the next coming um, sessions that we have. Um, and and we also discussed we wanted to do this for sports as well. So we'll see. I think this is a good format for us to to meet and greet and get more people to know more about more about us. Okay, absolutely. So, um, more conversations, yeah. more more content. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and hopefully like um we can have some of our contributors join as well it'd be interesting especially for me to know what they're working on what they're researching on if they're out at a conference or they're traveling work on something it'd be yeah, nice to just catch up with them and have a chat um <laughs> and also for those that are listening right now you want to write something or you want to share any information with us to reach out on our social media or on our website uh, info at japan forward.com um, but again, thank you for all those that listened to us. Was there any last comments before we close up today's Twitter space? Right, Ariel, Ed? 
nothing else. My my phone's battery is dying, so sorry. About that. <laughs> okay, right. so, okay. So let's wrap it up. Thank, thank you, everyone. For thanks for today. listening. That's the uh, most important thing. We want to grow the audience and have lively discussions. Yes, that's definitely, definitely. And we have, let's try and invite more people to speak as well, too. Again, so yeah, let's wrap it up. Thank you for joining us today. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We also have a YouTube channel in our Twitter spaces. This recording will be distributed on Spotify and Apple Music. Make, you, make sure you subscribe to that as well. We'll do this again next week. So keep an eye out on Twitter for the announcement. And thank you, everyone. Have a good Friday. Have a nice weekend.